Today on Blue 58, the Packers have a pretty strong running back stable. What's it good for? Maybe not quite what you think, but in the best possible way. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Got a couple interesting topics to get to. I'm excited to to talk about it. Uh, and I'm excited to, to have gotten some good feedback on the last episode. I know it, it was a bit of a non-traditional episode, and, and if it wasn't your speed, I, I totally understand. Hoped you liked the blooper reel at the end, for uh, at the very least. But uh, got some good feedback from people, and uh, and maybe we'll do something like that in the future. I think it's it's good to just pause every now and then and remember why we do this. It's fun. That's the number one reason. Um, so just make sure you're still having fun as much as you can, despite all of what's going on. Um, if, if you are in search of or in need of some fun, or if you want to get excited about something, I wrote a piece for Acme Packing Company. It's linked in your show notes. It won't be a huge surprise because it kind of touches on some stuff we've talked about here before, but check it out anyway. Maybe it'll get your uh, your juices flowing a little bit of, as far as thinking about what the Packers could do with 12 personnel. So a couple episodes ago, we mentioned a piece written by my colleague Paul Noonan at Acme Packing Company as well about moving away from 11 personnel, the personnel grouping the Packers have used most frequently, one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. As it turns out, that may not be the most efficient personnel grouping. You see why people use it, because there's a lot of different ways that you can attack an offense. It's pretty versatile. You get a good mix of athleticism and size on the field. Some heavier personnel groupings, though, might be a little bit better way to go. So one of those would be 12 personnel, two tight ends on the field. And the Packers can attack opposing defenses a lot of different ways using their four tight ends. Just because they're a little bit maybe slower with heavier personnel on the field doesn't mean that they're necessarily less versatile. So check that out. Linked in your show notes. Would love to hear what you think about it. Have a new page at thepowersweep.com. I've been working on stuff like this for a long time, and I've finally come up with a solution for how best to represent this information visually. You'll remember that one of the stats we track at thepowersweep.com is the ball hawk index. Basically, well, not even basically, specifically what a ball hawk is, is either an interception, pass defense, fumble forced, or a sack, a play on the ball. The reason we track this is because making plays on the ball correlates well with overall defensive success. You make plays on the ball, you tend to win. You tend to win because you're making plays on the ball, on offense or on defense. I've had every football coach I ever had, from sixth grade through college football, the high school coaches I've talked to and worked with, every single one of them has said some variation of Football is about the football, making plays on it or with it, getting the ball into the end zone or getting it away from the people who are trying to get it into the end zone. So we're tracking ball hawks because we want to see how many plays guys are making on the ball. And now we have a dedicated page for it at thepowersweep.com. It's linked in your show notes and I'll be updating it throughout the 2020 season. We've got a really neat visual of how the Packers ball hawks broke down in 2019. You'll be able to see the difference between guys who are just deflecting a bunch of passes and guys who have kind of a nice mix, guys who are getting interceptions or or just getting sacks. 
um, it, it's, I think it's, it's really fascinating. And you'll see some of the guys who are surprisingly big slices of the pie and some guys who are surprisingly small slices of the pie. Tremont Williams still holding his own at age, I think, roughly 67. So good for him. Love to see him. Uh, don't start cashing Social Security if you don't have to. So that's what, what I always say when I give people financial advice. I give a lot of 60-somethings financial advice, I do, for the sake of this bit at least. It's, it's, it wasn't really well thought out. This was a poor joke. So we're just going to move on. Anyway, this is linked in your show notes. Ball Hawk Index. Check it out. I've also gone ahead and totaled the Packers team ball hawks dating back every year through 2009. Why 2009? Well, 2009 was Dom Capers' first year uh, with the Packers. That was his first year coordinating the defense for the Packers. And for the first three or four years, the Packers were really strong there. Had a big big tail off making plays off the, on the ball in 2013. Things got better when Julius Peppers showed up in 2014, and they were strong basically until um, until he left. And then in 2017, things were rough. The Packers were rebuilding their defense in 2018, and they saw a big jump again last year. But you can really see the difference between kind of the prime Dom Capers era and now the Petten era. Capers was all about making plays on the ball. And when he had a defense that could do that, it performed really well. But as the league changed and teams became very risk-averse and tried to avoid allowing defenses to make on the plays on the ball at all, it got a lot tougher for Capers to do things. It also will show you, if you look at this chart, how good the Packers' defenses were in a couple years where maybe Aaron Rodgers wasn't quite as good as he could have been. So 2015 is a good example. Had a pretty good year getting their hands on the ball. 141 total team-wide ball hawks uh, compared to 144 in 2019. They were, they were pretty solid, but the Packers just couldn't get it done on offense that year. Same goes for 2012. 164 total ball hawks. That was not too bad either. That is the actually the third highest total since 2009. Uh, but again, they kind of fell apart in the playoffs that year. That was the Colin Kaepernick year. Well, the first of two, I guess. Um, but the Packers defense was pretty good until they ran into Kaepernick that year. Get, take a look at it. We'll continue to track this stuff in 2020 season pending, um, and try to give you an idea, hopefully on a more regular basis now that I've figured out a good way to, to visualize this, uh, how the Packers how the Packers are doing. So give that a look. Um, big thanks to Flourish, a data visualization company who gives away some really cool tools uh, that I've used to build some of this stuff out. So, so give that a look. Let's talk about running backs here for a second. Uh, the popular, I think, narrative is that the Packers are going to continue to be a more run-heavy team. Don't know if I completely buy that. If you look at some of the data from last year, most of the data actually shows that the Packers were still pretty much a pass-first team. That could be in part because of Aaron Rodgers doing the things that he does at the line of scrimmage. It could just be because they still recognize the value of passing the ball. You have to run the ball, though. You can't not run it. But what is the value of the running game? There's a few things that we know to be true. Running is inherently less efficient than passing. There is no running back in the league who can average enough per carry to make it more valuable to run the ball on a regular basis than pass it. It's just the math. It just does not work. 
to run the ball more than you pass it. The Baltimore Ravens are the exception that proves the rule because they have the best running quarterback in the league. And why would you not build your entire offense around what he can do as a runner in your running system and a player who can pass off of those runs? So we know that running is inherently less efficient. We also know, based on a conversation we had a couple episodes ago, that if you do want a good running back, and if you're going to have a running game at all, it's good to have a good running back. If you want a good running back, you have to get them early. That's what the Packers have done here with A.J. Dillon. They think he is going to be a good running back, so they drafted him in the second round. That's where the good running backs go, first and second round, third round, and so on. It gets worse as the draft goes on as does pretty much every position. Previously, we had kind of subscribed to the narrative here on this show that, you know, you could just find any running back, undrafted free agent, wherever. That's really not the case. By and large, the best seasons are coming from guys that were picked in the first round. That doesn't mean that you should go out and do that because running is still less efficient than passing. But if you're going to get a running back, that's where you should get one. Running the ball is also not about a few running myths. More like truisms, I guess. Things that people just repeat because they've been said for a long time. There's research to support all of this stuff. Did not have time to track down all these articles, though I do have them available someplace. Maybe I will, I'll tweet them out or something or share them in a future future episode show notes. Running the ball, though, is not about things like establishing the run. Whatever that means, there's really no such thing as establishing the run. You, can, you either run it or you don't. There's really no value to running just to show people you can run. There's also very little correlation between play-action passing and running the ball. The value of play-action passing is in the action itself, not in the threat to run. Sure, you should run it now and then, but that really doesn't have an effect on the results of your play-action passing. It's pretty much independent from how you run the ball. Running the ball is also not about wearing down defenses. There's very little correlation, if any at all, between how often you're running the ball and your success late in the game. So say you want to run the ball 35 times, there's very little evidence to show that carries 25 through 35 are going to be more successful just because you've run the ball a lot previously. But there is value in running the ball. Teams across the league are showing that. The Packers should know that better than most, given what they experienced at the hands of the San Francisco 49ers last year, two different times. If that's not enough evidence for you, look at what the Ravens did. If that's not enough evidence for you, look at what the Tennessee Titans did. You can run the ball and have a very successful offense. You can build your offense around running the ball and still have an effective offense. So what is the running game? Two main things. One is scheme. And one is utilizing players with different skill sets in different ways. And that's more about running backs as a position group than about running the ball specifically. But we'll get to that in a second. What do I mean by scheme? So one of the things that Matt LaFleur circles back to again and again and again and again is this idea that every play is going to look the same at the start. If you don't want a Packers-centric example, just look at what the Los Angeles Rams do. And you can see this really easily. If you watch one of those condensed games on YouTube, just they show just every single play kind of as it happens or as it happened 
in sequence. It's not just highlights. You're actually seeing every play from every drive, uh, just with no replays or whatever. Every play starts out the same. By and large, it's going to be a play-action wide run to one side of the formation or another. And Jared Goff is either going to pull up and throw it or hand it off on some sort of stretch run. The Packers kind of want to do something similar. It's all that Shanahan, Tree, West Coast offense. If every play is going to look the same, and you're going to be based around those wide runs, some of the plays are going to have opportunities just built within them for real big gains if you run them at the right time. If you catch a defense in the wrong alignment, uh, in the wrong personnel grouping for what you're going to run, there's yards to be had and explosive plays to be had from your run game. Every coach understands this. Even in the air raid offense, Mike Leach will tell you there are yards to be gained on the ground. Look at how teams like Hawaii, SMU, anywhere that June Jones has gone, does running the ball. They produce thousand-yard rushers left, right, and center in college ball, averaging something like six and a half, seven, eight yards a carry. Why? Because they match up well with defenses and they exploit those defenses who are looking for passes or looking for plays that are going to develop like passes and then just running the ball. It's like play action in reverse. There is a threat of the pass, so you can run the ball. Maybe it's using the pass to set up the run. Whatever it is, built into your scheme is going to be opportunities to get big gains on the ground. And to do that, you have to have good running backs. And to get good running backs, you have to get them early, by and large. Aaron Jones, again, the exception that proves the rules. Basically, though, what you're trying to do is build in opportunities for your scheme to produce easy yards. Everyone wants things to be easier, right? Running the ball is just sometimes the easiest way to get those yards. Secondly, like I said, it comes down to using different players with very different skill sets. The Packers have, just among the top three or four backs on their roster, guys with a lot of different skill sets. Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, A.J. Dillon, Tyler Irvin, Danny Vitale, dating back to last year. These guys are all used differently, and you can use them to exploit different matchups on the field. So let's just look at some numbers here for a second. How did the Packers use their backs differently? This is going to sound a little bit just like reading numbers into the microphone, so bear with me here for a second. Aaron Jones used 304 plays for the Packers last year, and this is a good opportunity to talk about a stat that I'm going to be building into its own page at thepowersweep.com. Watch out for this in the near future. Usage rate. Players are used in different ways, and there are a bunch of different ways that you can use a play on offense. So think of of using a play of usage rate like on-base percentage in baseball, or, since this is the sport I directly ripped it off from, a usage rate in basketball. There's a whole bunch of different ways that a play can go, and you've got to look at plays as a percentage of your overall team's snaps in a game to really figure out how big a part a guy is playing in your offense. So if a guy carries the ball 12 times, that's not necessarily the same if his team only ran 20 plays in the game as a guy who carries it 12 times, but his team ran 60 plays. See what I mean? This is similar to that. So Aaron Jones had 304 total plays used 
last year. He carried the ball 236 times and was the target of 68 passes. Of those 304 plays, almost 78%, 77.63% were runs. Okay. Jamal Williams used 152 plays. Of his, only 70% were runs. What does that tell you about the difference between Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams? Well, Jones more the William, more the runner, Williams more the receiver, right? Well, maybe not. Depth of target is a stat that will show you how far a player was downfield when he was targeted with a pass. Aaron Jones, splitting the difference between the averages we get from Sports Information Solutions and Pro Football Reference, was between 2.5 and 2.8 yards downfield on his average target last year. About three yards downfield. Let's just round it up and say three yards downfield. Jamal Williams, though he was targeted with more passes, was significantly less far downfield than Aaron Jones. In fact, the average target for Jamal Williams last year was behind the line of scrimmage. His average depth of target was negative 0.8 yards. What does that tell you about how Jones and Williams were used last year? Well, when it, when we were throwing the ball to Aaron Jones, it was much farther downfield. And if you think back to some of his highlights last year, think about what they did against the Chiefs. Think about that big touchdown he had against the Raiders. There were plays happening with Aaron Jones through the air that went significantly farther downfield than Jamal Williams. Williams did have those five receiving touchdowns, but that's mainly because a few screen passes and checkdowns broke his way. That's not necessarily because the Packers are trying to work the ball to him downfield. Okay? So players can be used different ways. And how they fit into those different uses is a big part of what matters in your running game. For an even more extreme example, look for a second at Tyler Irvin. So Irvin's a late season pickup, a relatively late season pickup, and he really wasn't incorporated into the offense all that much. So this is a pretty small sample size. But of the five plays where he's the focus of the play, he got just one carry and four targets. 80% of his plays were passes. On average, Tyler Irvin was 15 yards downfield when he was targeted with a pass. Splitting the difference again a little bit there. Sports Information Solutions says 15 and a half yards. Pro Football Reference says 14.8. About 15 yards. Tyler Irvin was almost exclusively a receiver last year, and when they did throw him the ball, it was going way downfield. Okay? Your running game is all about putting guys with different skill sets in the best position to maximize those skills. The Packers did a pretty good job with that in 2019. What do we think that means for 2020? For Aaron Jones, I think it's more of the same. It's probably going to be about 75% run, hopefully 25% pass. But In the passing game, I hope they continue to get him down the field a little bit more. Jamal Williams, he too, I think we'd expect to have more of the same. I think if you recall what I've said over the years about Blake Martinez, Jamal Williams is kind of like the offense's Blake Martinez. Doesn't necessarily make a, a whole ton of explosive plays, but he also doesn't take much off the table for you. He's reliable. He'll do what you need him to do. May not be spectacular, but he's dependable. 
Tyler Irvin, hopefully the Packers end up connecting on some of those deep targets a little bit more. Again, I think they're just relying on him to bring a little bit more speed to their running back group. That's something that they can use. Dexter Williams, I'd expect him to just be gone. Hearing Matt LaFleur talk earlier this year, I'm not sure he still knows that Dexter Williams is on the roster. That's probably just as well. He was like the human victory cigar last year. You only saw him if things were going really, really well or really, really poorly. A.J. Dillon, though, is kind of the wild card, but a good wild card. The book on him coming out of Boston College is that he didn't get a lot done in the passing game, but that was more to do with a lack of opportunities than ability, if you listen to people who talk to talk about him and what he did at, uh, at Boston College. Which bucket is he going to fall into, though? Is he going to be more Aaron Jones in how he's used? Is he going to be getting the ball in space, maybe a little bit further downfield? Or is he going to be more of a runner and a checkdown guy, a screen pass guy like Jamal Williams? I think you can see it happening either way. He's certainly a good enough athlete, it seems like, to play in space. But if the Packers like what he can do in pass protection, maybe he ends up just catching more more checkdowns because that was kind of the, the Jamal Williams role. He was kind of a safety release valve. I don't know if we have a clear example for, or a clear answer for what he is going to be. But I think tracking what category he falls into is going to be an interesting storyline for the 2020 season. So I've got for you on this episode. Do appreciate you listening in. If you found this episode beneficial or interesting or just thought-provoking, share it with somebody you think would be interested in hearing what we've got to say. Because, as I always say, That is going to help more people join this conversation around the Packers and help everyone continue to raise their game uh, as far as the conversations we're having around this team. Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we're all trying to be. Thank you very much again for listening. Stay safe wherever you are. I've been your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.